So I'm well aware of the fact that this afternoon, New Year's Day, we're still looking at what we call part of the Christmas story. However, the visit of the wise men into Bethlehem came quite some time after the birth of Jesus Christ in the manger. Because if you pay attention to details, they came to the house where Jesus was. Now, a lot of scholars and a lot of critics of the Bible say that this event probably could not have happened because in the book of Luke, it simply says, after they had performed all the things in the temple concerning Jesus Christ, they went back up to Nazareth. Well, if you look, that, that's about 50 days. That allows for plenty of time for these men to get here. And then somebody might say, well, why doesn't Luke mention, of course, the, uh, the side trip to Egypt? Because we have to understand, each of the gospel writers presented the life of Jesus Christ with particular emphasis in mind. Matthew wrote primarily to Jewish listeners. And Jewish listeners would want to know how all of these Old Testament statements concerning Jesus Christ came to pass. Luke, on the other hand, was a Gentile. He was not a Jewish man. He was writing particularly, of course, to every man and spoke specifically to those who were outside of the Hebrew family. So therefore, he was going straight through the birth of Jesus Christ and the development of Jesus Christ as a person and as a physician would look at it. So you get the whole story by looking at all the Gospels. Because something is mentioned in one gospel and not in another does not mean it's a contradiction, but each of the gospels complement each other. But we know this happened quite a few days or weeks after uh, the night that Jesus was born in a manger. And I want to look this morning at three important lessons for the upcoming year that we find in the narrative of the wise men coming to worship Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you that your word is relevant today. We ask that the lessons we see here that we would remember for the upcoming year. We know you have some things for us to know. We know how you have a plan for each of us for the upcoming year. Father, help us to see that plan. Help us to know your will. Direct us. Father, we ask that you would just help us to hear and to know and to respond to your word. And if there's any here that has business to take care of, to settle some things with you, I ask that would be done this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Three things that we notice as we look at this passage of Scripture First of all, as we go into the upcoming year, as we look at this and every other aspect of the Christmas story is this, you can trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible. Who were these men? Now, the official word that's used is, is magi. Of course, scholars have to pinpoint exactly what that means. These men were from the Medes, the Median tribe. The Median tribe, the Medes, are mentioned in Daniel. Actually, mentioned a lot of times as the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. It was the Medes and Persians that came and swallowed up the great Babylonian empire. See, at that time, it looked like the Babylonian empire was here to stay. It was the most massive empire and a lot of power and a lot of prestige and a lot of authority and might. It looked like nobody could shake it. Medes and the Persians did. These men came from that nationality. They were skilled in medicine, science, including astrology. These were the most learned men in that part of the world, which would include Babylon, Iraq, over to Persia. They were the most knowledgeable, skilled, educated men. They were appointed to stations of high honor and importance under King Cyrus. King Cyrus is mentioned in 2 Chronicles. King Cyrus is also mentioned in Daniel. They were, this is significant, Gentile men of great importance. So we could wrap it all up. They were non-Jewish Gentile men in great positions of authority and importance. There's the what. Now let's look at the so what. The so what is found in Isaiah chapter 60. If you want to turn back to Isaiah chapter 60. Now the words we're about to read from Isaiah chapter 60 were written 700 years before. Now when we look back at Bible times, a lot of times we think that it's all together in one time. But this was 700 years before. You might think, well, I, to get a grasp on just how long ago it was, 700 years ago, it was the year 1322. How much has changed since then? Lots of change. In fact, the great 
country of the United States of America wasn't even thought of then. We were talking about empires were in place then that looked like they had never changed. And since then, empires have come and gone and changes have taken place. So we have to understand what has changed in 700 years. But 700 years before the birth of Christ, listen to what God told Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall come of the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you will see and become radiant, and your heart will swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles will come to you. The multitude of camels will cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba will come, and they will bring gold and incense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. 700 years before, it says, Gentiles will come to your light. Then Matthew says, wise men came from the east and said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We saw his light and we came. These were Gentile men of great importance. Gentiles shall come to your light and they will bring gold and incense. Wise men came and they brought their gifts, gold, frank incense, and myrrh. You see, frankincense is incense, spices. Isn't that something? Can you imagine if you were to find some obscure little writing from the year 1322 that predicted exactly what you got for Christmas this year? Whoa, that'd be something. 700 years before, God said, here's what's going to happen. You pay attention. Kings will come to your light. Gentiles will come from all over, from a long way off, and they'll bring gold and incense. And we notice two things here in the book of Matthew. First of all, right in the middle of the narrative, he quotes Scripture. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He quotes scripture. And then down in verse 14, it says that 15, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken of of the prophet. You see, Matthew was a tax accountant. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors had the accountant mindset. Now here's the accountant mindset. The accountant mindset is you're balancing your checkbook and it's 17 cents off. Now, if I'm doing that, it's like, what's the big deal of 17 cents? Well, not an accounting mindset. The accounting mindset will want to go and find exactly where that is. I mean, everything has to line up. You have the inflow column. You have the outflow column. they got to line up. Matthew was a Jewish man who knew the Scriptures well, obviously. And Matthew begins to put promises concerning Jesus in this column. 
And throughout the book of Matthew, he starts checking them off. Checking them off. In fact, the word fulfilled is used 15 times in the book of Matthew. But there are 129 either quotes or references to the Old Testament, saturated with it. What Matthew is saying, even in this narrative here, is look, you can trust your Bible. What God says will happen. What God says is done. What God says is reliable and true. 700 years ago, God says this will happen. Let me show you how it happened to the letter, to the last detail. Secondly, God knows what he's doing, even when we do not understand. Have to look and do a little bit of homework. We say, of course, they came to the star. First of all, how did they know about the Messiah? These were, remember, Gentile men. They came from a long way off. They weren't in the neighborhood of Israel. They were from a long way off, over toward it, maybe as far as Babylon and Persia. They were of a whole different country. How did they know about the Messiah? And how did they know that the star would lead them to the Messiah? Well, you go all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 24. Verse 17, one verse, one sentence amidst thousands in the Old Testament. One sentence says this, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will come out of Israel. Now, a scepter is the symbol of the king's authority. So they put that together and knew that a king would be coming out of Israel and the king's evidence of his coming out of Israel would be a star. These guys knew that. But how'd they know Scripture? They weren't Jewish people. They weren't in the Jewish neighborhood. They were not anywhere close to Jerusalem. How in the world could these men, who are of a whole different culture, know this verse in the Old Testament? Well, you find the answer in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, the events that are written in Daniel, happened 600 years earlier. 600 years earlier, these are the things that happened. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And some of the articles of the house of of God, 
which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And the king instructed Asphanes, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily portion of the king's delicacies of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of time they might serve before the king. Now among these were the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hannah, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Here's what happened. The king of Babylon came into Jerusalem and besieged it and captured it. Second Chronicles actually mentions this as well, chapter 36. And he sacked the temple and carried away all the articles of the temple over to Babylon. And then he carried some of the most dedicated followers of God over to Babylon. Daniel, we know the names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stood firm and said, we will not eat this food. We won't eat this food. We're going to stay with the word of our Lord and eat what he told us to eat. That was their first act as they got to Babylon. They, they had some spunk. So what we know is this. All the things in the house of the Lord were carried over to Babylon. And then we had, of course, some of the most dedicated followers of God carried over to Babylon. Now what was stored in the house of the Lord? The scrolls. Scripture. Scripture made it a thousand miles from Jerusalem over to Babylon. Dedicated followers of God made it from Jerusalem over to Babylon. And scholars would tell us, if you look at history, that when the Babylonian captivity, as we call it, ended 70 years later, many of the Jewish people didn't return. Because that was 70 years, and a lot of them were born over in Babylon, and they had already set up households, and they had already set families up, and they were already entrenched. So now you had... In Babylon, you had synagogues, and every synagogue had a copy of the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord contained the promises of the coming Messiah, and then that one verse that a star would tell them when he was born. Now, 600 years before, when Jerusalem was sacked, and everything was carried away, and all the folks that were where the best and the brightest were carried away, didn't make sense to anybody, did it? It was the most horrible thing that could have ever happened, and no Jewish person would say, oh, I know how this is going to play out. Nobody knew how it was going to work. Nobody. There was nothing in the human mind that would say, hey, this makes sense. I just don't know. It was tragic. It was horrible. And all they could say is, why did God do this? This makes no sense in the world. But 600 years later, it all makes sense. Now we have the kings 
from the east, the Gentile men of high authority that were prophesied a hundred years before, 700 years before, came to Jerusalem. They knew all about the Messiah and all about the star because of what was carried to Babylon when Jerusalem fell. And they had dedicated people who told them about God. God knows what he's doing, even when we don't understand, and it makes no sense to us. There are things that happened this year that I don't have any answers as to how all this is going to fall into place. I have a lot more questions than answers because of some things that happened this year, deaths and tragedies. But God knows, and God is still in control. And then thirdly, here's the lesson we learned from the wise men themselves. We can accomplish our goals this year if we are willing to stick with the journey. The star came, we don't know exactly when it came, but the star came up and alerted them that the Messiah had been born. They were in the east, they saw the star and came westward over to follow the star. Now, they were from 500 to 1,000 miles away. 500 to 1,000 miles away. Don't know exactly where they were, but somewhere we know it was a minimum of 500. That journey would take from 60 to 120 days. And it wasn't an easy journey. It would be probably on horseback or camel. Now, I've ridden a horse twice in my life. I thought saddles were padded, but they're not. And I'm not either. So you might say, yeah, but what about a camel? Oh, a camel's not any better. I rode a camel one time. When we were over in, uh, in Israel, the, the tour guide that drove the bus, he stopped because there was this little tourist trap of a guy that had camels. He had let you get on one and ride on it. Well, that camel, of course, would kneel down, and you would get on that camel. And it felt kind of like a horse till that joker stood up. You were way up there. There's like no horse you'll ever ride. And camels, they're gnarly creatures. So I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be on that camel for 10 minutes, much less 10 days, much less 50 days or 100 days. These guys traveled that far either by foot or on the back of something that wasn't comfortable. How'd they make it? One step at a time, didn't they? A long way over there, one step at a time. First of all, they took a deliberate decision. It wasn't like they, they came into the house where Joseph and Mary was say, hey, we were just kind of like passing through the neighborhood and thought we'd drop in. Oh, no, they weren't passing through the neighborhood. They had to make a deliberate decision. We're here, and we want to get there. And that's the only way we're going to accomplish things for the master this year. It will not happen by accident. We've got to decide, I'm here. But I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And it might be whatever improvement you feel you need to make in your life. You have to make a deliberate decision. And it took dedication for the reason for the trip. Now, they probably encountered some hardship along the way, just being on the road that long, on the back of whatever they were riding along. But the, all the while, they kept in their mind why they were going. 
while they were going as we have come to worship the king of the Jews. Their end goal was to glorify and to worship Jesus Christ. And you know they said, this is a hard journey. This is not a good day. This is a hard way to go. But the goal is worth it. And it took intentional effort. Watch this. Every day on the road, they had to decide if they were going to keep on. Isn't that the way it is with us? We make a lot of goals for the upcoming year, New Year's resolutions, commitments. Sometimes they're the same ones we made last year. And how we can accomplish these, these three steps, a a deliberate decision, dedication to the goal, and every day we've got to make a deliberate decision, effort. Every day. It, it, it's more than just a, a one-time decision and some good intentions and, some, and some, some promises. Every single day. And sometimes it's gonna, you're going to think, today's not going to make that much difference. What's one day? Well, let me show you the significance of one day. I've, I've, got, I've got a book. <clears throat> I've got a book here, and it's, it's a big book. And I was looking for books that had 365 pages in it. Then I realized 365 pages is half of the pieces of paper. This book has about 730 pages. Of course, page numbers are on both sides, which means it has 365 actual pieces of paper in it. There's 365 actual papers in this book. Now, you open this book and look at one page. That's one day. And you think... I can blow today. That, that's not going to matter. Uh, maybe tomorrow. I, I'll get around to it tomorrow. I don't really feel like it today. You just don't understand. And then all of a sudden, the whole year's gone. But now turn that coin around. Today may not seem to be important, but I'm going to stay true to my goals. I'm going to stay true to the journey. I'm going to stay true to the deliberate effort that I made to do something for the Lord. So we're going to do it today. That doesn't look like I've done a lot. But now the next day, we're going to do it this day. Then we're going to do it this day. And then at the end of the year, we've got quite a stack of days that we've given to God and accomplished something. So you realize one day sometimes doesn't seem like much. But let me tell you, that's how we waste our lives. Not a year at a time, a day at a time. You can do something for a day. We can do something for the day. Just like those men, they got up, they'd been on the road hard for a whole week. The next day, you know what they did? They got up and saddled up, rode again, and again and again, anywhere from 60 to 100 days, 120 days, They stuck with it. And my, when they got there, it was worth every step of the journey. You see, when we make up our minds, we want to serve Jesus Christ. We want a life of of communion and fellowship with him. We want to live like he wants us to live. We want to be more familiar with what he says in here. And we want to know the reality of prayer and talking to God and Him talking to us, it's worth 
the effort. The goal is worth the effort. And so we understand as we prepare for an invitational hymn, we look at the, the three things to know. You can trust the Bible. You can trust what God's telling us. God knows what he's doing even when we don't understand. And I'm going to say most of us throughout the year, something's going to happen that we don't have the answers for. We don't know why it happened that way. God knows what he's doing. We may never know. There were generations of, of Hebrews that never knew why God did what he did. But God knew what he was doing. And then, of course, we can accomplish those goals. But we got to stick with the journey. And where's the journey start? First step. Have you made that first step? Do you know Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you said yes to him? Have we made those commitments to him? That's where we start as we stand and see. Number 193.